So I want to talk a little bit more about the overview of the path um, that, that we'll be reviewing this course, but also the, the whole year-long course. Mark mentioned uh, how the, the Four Noble Truths are kind of the pith teachings of the Buddha. And in the, uh, the Fourth Noble Truth is the Eightfold Noble Path. And the Eightfold Noble Path really is the, hmm, that's where it all gets laid out. You know, that's what, we're, that's what we're going to be studying, that's what we're practicing, that's what we're walking, is that Eightfold Noble Path. Hmm, this path to awakening, this path to liberation, which is a pa path that frees us from suffering, which is why it's actually called liberating, because we are liberated from the suffering that keeps us feeling so bound and so caught, and that there really is this possibility. This is the, the promise. This is what these teachings are pointing to, is a, a completely, uh, radically different way of being in this world, in this life, living a life that is deeply uh, embedded in wisdom and compassion, and that, that we become, each one of us becomes an expression of that wisdom and that compassion in our lives. And so this is a, it's a very remarkable, a very profound path that we're walking together. We, the, the Eightfold Noble Path, is broken down into what's called these three baskets or the, the threefold way of uh, uh, wisdom, of virtue, and meditation. And in the Pali, it's called uh, sila, or sila, which is uh, morality or virtue, um, panya, which is wisdom, and samadhi, which is concentr uh, concentration or uh, meditation. <laughs> And I want to talk just a little bit about each one of those and then talk about the uh, refuges and precepts. And it's a, a, a big topic and I have a short amount of time, so I'm just going to do a, just kind of a brief overview of these, so to, just to kind of get us oriented to uh, the direction that we're walking in. So the path, so on the Eightfold Path, we begin with wisdom the two first factors of, of wise view and wise understanding. It's a, these two factors are pointing towards the true reality or the true nature of things, wise view, the view, so we see things clearly. And then the understanding and the intention uh, and the motivation so that we start to really orient ourselves towards this wisdom. And we begin in this particular basket of, of wisdom. The second one then being the, the virtue or uh, our morality, because until we start to work with our conduct and our behavior, we really can't fully set the foundation for our meditation and for the cultivation of wisdom. And so we, we, this, the piece on the, the sila, the morality, is a key part of the Buddhist path, a walk in, in, in practicing the Buddhist teachings. And then through the establishment of some wisdom and through some uh, sila or conduct, this is what creates this wonderful foundation for the meditation and for concentration, which is the third basket of samadhi or, or um, mindfulness and concentration. 
And so in the Eightfold Path, we're working with these. The first two, wise view and wise uh, thought or intention, are the panya, the wisdom. Uh, the second three are the virtue or morality, which is uh, wise speech, wise action, and wise livelihood really has to do with the way we are in our lives, in our, in our daily lives, and how we're really expressing ourselves through our actions. That's our, our, more, our virtues. And then the third being the, the path uh, that includes the meditation. So those last three factors of uh, wise energy or effort, the way we're actually applying our energy and our effort, the wise mindfulness and wise concentration, which makes up our meditation. And so we circle, we, we circle, these are, the, they're interrelated, all these three, they work together. And we're practicing these three as we walk this path. We need to begin with some wisdom or we wouldn't begin the path, right? I mean, what would get you on the path unless something woke up in you? There was some spark, some, some flame of understanding that, that there is a possibility for some different way of being or a different way of living. And so something has, has to be already awakened in you or you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't start meditating. You wouldn't, wouldn't start looking into the teachings. So there, that's kind of a given that that wisdom uh, awakens within our being and then we move forward, then we start walking a particular path. In this case, it's the path of the Buddha, or the Buddha Dharma, that we're walking together. So it's where we begin. And when we speak about wise uh, view, or wise, wise understanding, wise motivation, we're really looking into these four noble truths which is what we'll be exploring in this course. You know, what, what is so significant about these Four Noble Truths? And, and these Four Noble Truths are really are what orients us towards the Buddha's teachings because these are what the Buddha w- woke up to in his enlightenment when he was sitting under the Bodhi tree. He woke up to, these, to the way he understood reality based on these four truths. So, so when we start to understand these four noble truths more deeply, it's, it, starts, it points the way, it points, it gives us a map, it gives us direction towards the liberating, um, the liberating momentum. So wise view is this understanding of the four truths, but it's also the understanding of the principles of karma. The principles of karma mean just understanding the law of cause and effect that if I do this action, I'm likely to get this result. If I lie to somebody, that's probably going to set off a number of consequences that are going to have some impact on me and other people around me, this cause and effect. And when we start to understand this, we start to take more responsibility for our actions, for our speech, for the choices that we make. We start to take more responsibility. And this sets us, again, in motion. I hope you can get a sense as I'm talking that there's a direction. We start to get focused. We start to go towards 
um, a way of being that is much more wholesome, that is, that is more virtuous, that is, that, is, that is good in some way, that is kind, that is compassionate, that is caring. As we start to explore these different aspects, when we realize that we can actually make these choices for our actions, we can see that we can take responsibility for our happiness. We can take responsibility for how I actually feel, for how I am in my life, and this can awaken a real sense of uh, urgency and um, kind of some, some vitality that I can do this. I can actually make a difference in my life, which will then make a difference in many people's lives around me. This supports the ethics. This supports the, the, the virtue, because I want to uh, act and speak in ways that are going to bring about more harmony, more kindness, more love, more compassion. And so in the, in the, the basket of sila, morality, we have these five precepts. And most of you probably are aware of these are, this is kind of the foundation of our practices, these five pre precepts. The, these, eth these, ethical, these guidelines for our ethical conduct, uh, which mo anybody who, who actually walks the Buddhist path takes these five precepts. And on retreats and in classes, we take these formally. Um, and these five, five precepts being not to kill any living being, not to steal or take things that don't belong to us or aren't offered to us freely, not to engage in uh, sexual activity that causes ourselves or other people pain, harm, uh, to speak uh, in ways that are kind, that are caring, not to lie, um, and the fifth one, not to indulge in intoxicants and drugs and uh, alcohol that, that clouds the mind and inter interferes with our ability to walk the path and act in ways that are going to lead to more freedom and happiness. So um, as a monastic, a monast uh, the monks uh, in their uh, practice take 227 precepts. Um, and the nuns, for we, reasons that are well-known, take 311. They, they, they need to be reined in a little bit more. <laughs> so, but all those precepts boil down to these five, the, what we call the five lay precepts. So for us as practitioners, and, and these are the ones that we, we, we practice and we follow. And we'll be talking more about those as well. They, they really become a grid, kind of, again, a map for our behavior and our way of being. And then when we establish this kind of, uh, we, we point our, our minds towards the establishing of wisdom and really exploring more of the Four Noble Truths and looking at what gives rise to our speech and our actions. Um, we, we practice the five precepts. All of this is what supports our meditation. You see, so when we sit down, we actually feel str stronger and sturdier in ourselves. We're not, our mind isn't whizzing around, spinning around with all the things that we are worrying about or we did wrong or, you know, regret or, you know, uh, all the ways we're impacted by things that we say and that we do. But there is more of a sense of, of being able to be at ease, being, uh, knowing that, that we're walking a path of, 
of, of wisdom and compassion. And that, that gives a certain kind of steadiness within ourselves. It, it, it awakens that kind of goodness, that, that love, that care. And we, and we can relax. There's a way that we can feel more relaxed. And so, so this is a really important aspect of, of how this, um, sort of the technology, we might say, of the teachings, of how they work, work together, all pointing towards this um, awakening. And then the third basket, of course, being our meditation, this mindfulness, which is the grounded attention into the present moment, along with the concentration, which is a one-pointed attention on what it is that we're focusing on, and this balancing and the development of the mindfulness and concentration together through our practice. What this gives us is a very sharp instrument of our consciousness where we, we can direct our, the clarity of our mind towards insight, towards this investigation into the nature of things, into reality, into this mind, into this body, into what this is all about. We really can use this uh, clarity, this focus, this precision of mind to start to understand the Four Noble Truths and, and the principles of karma and, and, and the deeper questions about the nature of this reality and the nature of this life. So, so part of what we develop here is really the sharpening of this, this tool of our, of our consciousness, of our mind, so that we can do the kind of work here that we want to do together. So we, uh, we, this is the path, you know, the path that we walked together, this Eightfold Noble Path. And as we feel more connected to these teachings, we then may feel inclined to take what's called the Three Refuges, or the, the Three Jewels in the practice, which really, again, is sort of the, the foundation of Buddhist practice. And the three refuges or the three jewels, again, this is what we, um, we take together, we um, uh, chant it together at the beginning of retreats, is uh, taking refuge in the Buddha, taking refuge in the Dharma, and taking refuge in the Sangha. And I love the word refuge, actually. The word refuge, when we talk about refuge, is refuge is really a place of protection. It's a place of safety. It's a, somewhere that's trustworthy where I can rest. And when we take refuge in the Buddha and the Dharma and the Sangha, it gives us a place where we can rest from the weariness of our lives, of our world, of our, the difficulties, we can go to this place, which is within our own being. The Buddha, when we say taking refuge in the Buddha, it's this, uh, we have the archetype of the historical Buddha, who was an awakened being, who awakened to this beautiful um, map towards liberation. But Buddha means awake. That's what Buddha means, it's awake. And so what he's pointing us to is our own awake nature. That each one of us is a Buddha, is already Buddha nature. That each one of us has this capacity to awaken to our nature. 
And so when we take refuge in the Buddha, we are taking refuge in our own capacity to awaken to our nature, to the true reality, to the essence of who we are. So that, that is a refuge for us, a refuge in our own nature, really, in, in who we are. When we say take refuge in the Dharma, and Mark was pointing out what is essential Dharma, you know, Dharma, one way of talking about Dharma is it's a way of, one translation is a universal truths or universal law, the way things are. The Dharma is what points to or is a word for the manifestation of reality as it is according to laws, the laws of nature. And we, we begin as we deepen into our meditation and our study and our exploration, we start to know this Dharma firsthand, the law by which this reality exists and lives and expresses itself through. We have the Buddha Dharma in this case. There are many, actually, many different kinds of Dharma. But Buddha Dharma is based on the teachings of liberation that the Buddha awakened to and then taught for 45 years. So we taught Buddha Dharma. So the, 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 the laws and the way that the Buddha configured his understanding, there are many different ways to understand reality. There's many different ways to talk about this existence. But this is a particular way, a particular path that was awakened to and described by the Buddha. So we have the, Bu- the Buddha, we have the Dharma, and we have refuge in the Sangha. Sangha is the word for community. And essentially it, it refers to the Sangha or the community of the lineage of monastics who have gone before us, this unbroken line of monastics who have brought these teachings forward and who really preserve the teachings in a very uh, a certain way. And they, all these, thou, this, these hundreds of years bringing the teachings forward, starting with a purely oral, oral teaching, nothing written down like for 500 years, and bringing that forth. So we take refuge in that noble sangha, these noble sangha, the noble, noble ones. But also, we are the sangha. We are the, now the community of practitioners. We are the like-minded group of people who are bringing the teachings forward through our own practice, through our own study, through our own meditation. And then through, through that experience, we bring it forward. So this community, and this is Mark said he, this is one of the things he loves about the Course, is the way that this community comes together and supports each other. You become a Sangha, like-minded, sharing similar values, similar um, concerns and, and questions and cares, and bringing all that together, and then we bring that forward. Very, very significant in this long line of, uh, of Buddha Dharma. So, so these are sort of the basic practices that, that we um, share and that we uh, hold together. The, the Eightfold Noble Path and the Threefold Way of Wisdom, um, Virtue, and Samadhi or Meditation. Um, practicing the um, 
precepts, primary, the five uh, ethical precepts, primary foundation for our practice. And then more and more taking refuge, or feeling this refuge in the Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, as a place of safety, as a place of protection, a place where you can rest, rest your weary heart, rest your weary souls, taking that out breath, <laughs> letting it all go, letting the world go for, you know, 20 minutes if we can, and resting. It's all, you know, more and more for me, it's all about resting. But yet, we have to know where we can rest. You know, what, what's trustworthy? Where is that trustworthy place to rest? So, um, this is what I wanted to kind of present to you this evening. Are there any questions that are coming up right now before we go on to some of the more the logistics? Anything needs to be clarified or commented upon? Okay. So, Mark, do you want to carry on? Yeah, just one thing to add to Shada's lovely talk was is that that piece of sangha, the community that we we create here, is um, uh, often people can you know when they think about these what called the three jewels, the three refuges, the the quality of the Buddha or the historical Buddha, the awakeness is is, is sort of quite obvious that wants to aspire towards, and the Dharma or the teachings, the practices that help us arrive to our own liberation can make sense. But, and, and for some people, this jewel of the Sangha is not so obvious or perhaps alluring or interesting. Or, um, uh, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's this quality of community, of practicing together, of coming together. It's why we have these classes and uh, groups and sitting groups and retreats and because uh, you know, the Buddha called this teaching going against the stream. You know, you know, you don't turn on CNN and get meditation instructions. You know, Fox News is not cultivating loving kindness and compassion. <laughs> you know, <laughs> or is it news? Someone said <laughs> that's also a point. Um, <clears throat> so um, it's really important, and as we deepen in this practice, this understanding it becomes more important to find people who share these values, who understand the value of what it means to look within, to, to meditate, to develop consciousness, develop mindfulness, develop kindness. Um, there's a common language, a sense of shared values. And there's something that you may feel in the support of this, this sort of temporary sort of monastery that we create here 
um, where you feel buoyed up genuinely by each other's practice. And I know, having taught this group for many years, that it's often the, the thing that people most appreciate is that there's a sense of support and camaraderie in a world where there's not so much support. And when, when say, when we have breaks between the semesters, people feel that, that there's something missing. And so to really um, uh, use or feel the draft of that during this course. So um, just want to end with some, some logistics. So uh, the table by the door, we, we have this sheet. I assume everyone got one. It's, um, it's the homework sheet. And so this, this week's homework, um, the reflections are mostly just to reflect on your interest for being here, on your orientation to, to practice, to Buddhism, what brings you here, and, and, to, and, to, and to discuss this with your Dharma buddy. Like, what, what are you hoping to get out of this? And what are you looking for? And be mindful of your expectations and, and all of that. Um, but particularly, we want to emphasize um, the importance of having a daily meditation practice. That, that really the, 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 the daily meditation practice, the cultivation of mindfulness is really the foundation of the course, the foundation of Buddhist practice. That without that, it just becomes conceptual, it becomes a lot of nice ideas, but we're not actually knowing it through our direct experience. And as we practice this quality of mindfulness in the meditation, you will find, as you've, if, you've, if you haven't already, that it starts to to spill over and unfold and into your life. So you start waking up in the context, in the midst of your life. So um, we ask that everybody here commit to a daily meditation practice. And I know for some of you that's challenging. Some of you may have young children or very busy work schedules or travel schedules or whatever it is that uh, might interfere with that. And at the same time, we really invite you and ask you to see if you can commit to uh, a period of meditation every day. So in the homework, we're suggesting 20 minutes. Some of you, that might not seem like very much. Some of you, that might seem like just outrageously long period of time to be sitting with yourself at home. So, um, and if that is genuinely too much for you, then what's important is you, is you commit to a time period every day that you can realistically do. So if it's 10 minutes, it's 10 minutes. If it's five minutes, it's five minutes. Um, 20 minutes is a, is, a, is a good basic minimum to start with just because it takes some time to settle, to arrive, to, to let the, 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 chattering, the chattering of the day subside. Um, find a place in your house that's quiet, that you, can, that you sort of begin to associate with meditation. Maybe have some flowers or some inspiring picture or something that, that evokes this quality of meditation. Turn your phones off and your pages and whatever else is going to ring and beep and, you know, um, close your door and just give yourself. It's really a gift to yourself, this practice. <clears throat> For those of you who, um, uh, uh, who like to write and, and, and have a journal, keep a journal, even those for those of you who don't, uh, we recommend that you, that you start a journal, that you, that you have a a journal or a notebook that you take notes in the course, you make observations in your reflections in the homework, that you sometimes write about your meditation practice, about what's happening, different orientations, different shifts that you're seeing, different insights that might arise. Just helps, again, bring more focus and intentionality to your practice. 
Um, and lastly, to, to make contact with your Dharma buddy this week, however you do that, phone, email, whatever, um, and to talk about all of that. Um, and, and just to really give yourself as much as you can, just like anything, the more you give, the more you put into something, the more that you will receive. And so, and that's very true with meditation practice. It doesn't work unless you do it. <laughs> you know, and that's true for all of us. You know, we can think about it and talk about it and read about it and study it, and, but we actually have to do it. We have to get our bum on the cushion or on the chair or whatever it is that you meditate on. Um, so any questions about home practice? Sitting at home, establishing a practice? Sure, please. Sometimes I like to give people the permission if, you know, really it just wasn't possible to sit that day. You know, you want to make a commitment, but just sometimes it's not possible. It's great if you could just, just before you lie down in bed, sit in the meditation posture on your bed, just by your pillow, just like for two minutes. And just sit in your posture and then just connect with your body, your breath, and just quiet the mind for two minutes. I think you'll find that even that, keeping that sustained commitment with that, even that little puncture of that two minutes uh, in your posture will, will just make such a difference to you. So I just want to offer that to you too, because you know sometimes it is really hard with all that's going on. Mark, yeah. Question. Do you have any thoughts about guided meditation? You know, uh, that's prepared, recorded. Mm-hmm. So the question's about guided meditation. What kind of guided meditation? Uh huh. Yeah. So there's a lot of uh, really great guided meditations from Jack Cornfield, Joseph Goldstein, many other Vipassana teachers, and of course many other traditions. Um, and uh, if you find those supportive and helpful, by all means use them. Just like listening to us guiding a meditation. Uh, at some point, it's also good to practice without them, just as, just so you become more self-reliant and more with yourself. But, and, and for some people at the beginning, it's really supportive to have, a, to have some kind of guided meditation because it makes you, you know, sit there for half an hour because it's half an hour long or 20 minutes or whatever it is. So by all means, use that if it's helpful. Um, and then at some point, stop, see what it's like to practice without it. So you're also listening to your own inner guidance. I'd also like to say, just be sure that it's within this tradition right now so we really focus on the Vipassana because otherwise it can get a little confusing. So, so keep it within the tradition. Yeah, and, and to follow on from that thought, so if and many of you probably have other practices, mantra practices or yoga practices, or, um, and it's fine to, if you want to keep doing those, just when you're, when we, when you're, do, when you're doing this course and you're dis, when you sit down to meditate, be clear about your intention about what practice you're doing. Sometimes if we've been, uh, had experience in, in, in different styles of practice, often we'll want to do what's easy. So we start sitting with mindfulness, and it's like, oh, this is kind of boring. Let me try that really cool visualization. Now oh, that's kind of fun, yeah. Oh, but it's really too complicated. Now let me try that, that mantra thing. That's really calming. You know? and so we jump around and um, be clear as when you sit, you know, what, what am I going to sit? What am I doing? Right? Oh, I'm going to be paying attention to the breath. No matter what happens, I'm just going to come back to that simplicity. Did you have a question? Someone there? Just about like the, the consistency of the amount of time that you meditate. Because sometimes I'll find myself, I don't time myself, but sometimes like 
40 minutes or an hour will go by, and sometimes mm -hmm. it's at least 30 minutes. But I wonder sometimes if I should have a more consistent practice of, you know, you set a timer and it's 30 minutes and you kind of contain yourself to sort of an expectation of how long it's going to be and that type of thing. Yeah, no, I think it's, I think if you end up sitting for now, that's great. <laughs> I mean, most people like to have a timer just because it feels like 15 hours they've been sitting, it's only been three minutes. So, I, so in order for you to stop looking at your clock every three seconds, it can be helpful to have, you know, there's all kinds of meditation timers and the iPhone has all kinds of cool, you know, apps on it for meditation bells and, you know, so you can, you know, whatever you like, you know, stick it under a pillow so it's soft and not too jarring. Um, and, then, and, and, set, and set it for, you know, for 20 or 30 minutes or whatever you're planning to sit for. But if, you, if, you, if you're comfortable sitting long, then obviously you don't need to do that. It's fine to sit however long, however the flow is going. So the 20 minutes is a minimum. Uh, I should say, I'm here for those of you. Okay, yeah, Jean. I'm connecting with a Sangha that in where the area where I live, and it's a Zen group. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate the community of that group, and I've sat with them a few times, and I don't want to get confused. Mm -hmm. I mainly practice mindfulness and Vipassana at home. And when I sit with the group, of course, they don't know what's happening with me, except that I'm sitting. And the main difference that I'm finding with sitting with them is that they ask that we meditate with our eyes open. And so I'm able to do that, and we face a wall. And, but I don't want to get confused, and so I, I guess I'm having a bit of conflict with the Sangha versus the, the school. Mm -hmm. And do either of you have any guidance? Um, so the questions about uh, sitting with another tradition, in this case Zen, and just wondering about how to do that. Um, you know, I think I think it's generally it's respectful to practice whatever practice is being taught. So wherever you are, you do the practice of you know, whichever culture tradition you're in. I think that's generally respectful. And there's a lot of commonality between, you know, there's many different traditions, but they all have an essential core uh, foundation for noble truths, mindfulness, awakening, etc. So you could, you know, in, in it, to make it simple, just practicing mindfulness of breath, which I'm not sure what, what's this, Soto Zen or Rinzai Zen? Yeah, so there's a simple instruction, Soto, to just simply be aware of breath in the belly. So in that sense, there's no conflict. You're just cultivating mindfulness of breath in that context. So no problem. Great. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Lots of different forms, but you know, the the essence is often very similar. So and where are the times? So um, uh, I think that's it. There's some announcements from Spirit Rock. Um, hmm? Yes, and then I checked about Dhamma Buddies. Oh, yes, and did, did everybody find a Dhamma Buddy? No. Two people didn't. Throw. Oh, so my suggestion is if you don't have a Dhamma Buddy and you would like one, you meet in that corner of the room after the class and just you know, exchange whatever information you need to exchange. Okay, so that corner of the class, if you would like a Dhamma Buddy and ha don't have one, we'd highly suggest that everybody does have one. Um, 
and then next week there'll be some people late arrivals, so there'll also be some time to uh, connect. Sometimes, the, for whatever reasons, it doesn't work out. Someone drops out of the course, whatever. So it's you can find to take a new Dharma buddy. Okay, I so have a question about um, I, I'm I'm very uh, happy to see these name tags, and I'm just wondering what happens with the name tags. So the, yes, thank you. So um, <laughs> there's a box at the. Uh, how do we do this last do time? People keep. Them? Uh, I forget what we do. I filed them. We filed them, yeah. So we filed, we filed them alphabetically. So um, I don't, so I'm gonna. This, this is this. This is for Sarah. Uh, do we have a box for the? Great. If everyone turn around, there's a box, and if you can put your name tag and just be mindful of the where you put it alphabetically, so you can find it next time. Um, it's, it's really helpful. To, it really creates us, you know, helps a sense it of... It helps us, too, because we can actually... I can start to f- see your names, names and recognize your names, which is good. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and also, um, just really love to encourage you to come on time. We're going to... The two hours is, a, is actually a small period of time for what we're covering. So we're going to start right at 7. So we'd love you to come at seven if you can, and we're gonna we'll try to end at as close to nine as possible since it's a late for many of you. And just a brief thing about what's happening this weekend here at Spirit Rock on Saturday. Um, we have day longs every every day of the weekend at Spirit here, and uh, Rick Hansen and Rick Mendius are doing a. They do they they give these teachings on basically the neurology of meditation and this this focuses the neurology of awakening, all the different neuroscience research that's happening. And on Sunday, uh, we have a, um, a diversity multicultural day practice, a day for people of color and allies, led by Irina Wiseman and uh, Dr. Zenju Earthlin Manuel. So many other things, all this information's on the website, as you probably know. So um, just want to say welcome and glad we're embarking on this journey together. And thank you for coming. And I'll see you next week. I'll be here next week, and Shada will be here the following week after that. Thank you. Question? Do I have a card? Code. Not yet. Next week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.